0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. Now your hosts. Hello and welcome to the Hyperion Hub, your meeting place for all things Disney. I'm John Alois, joined by Sean Degenhart. You are. And John Redling Schaefer. Am I? <laughs> you you are, John. Oh. Yes. We is. Yeah. Please follow us on social media, email us at podcast at the Hyperion Hub. You can send us a voice recorded message there. We may play it on the show as well. Wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review. It helps more people find the show. We're going to ask you to do a favor, do us a favor, and rate and review. We like to start things off with our Disney views. And Destination D from D23 took place in Walt Disney World recently. And there were a few large announcements. And then there were a few announcements that are still blue skies. I mean, so, what's
1: your definition of announcement? I was waiting for some substance, John.
0: Uh, as far as the parks go, I, I mean, there's some pretty big things that could be happening someday. <laughs>
1: so I, now
2: I'm focusing on the word
1: <laughs> could.
0: All right, let's just kind of go down the list. Who wants to start us off?
2: Uh, figment is now available for a meet-and-greet, although, according to some videos that surfaced, he was having a little trouble getting out of the portal that first couple times. Yeah, and he needs to stay off the liquor, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, an unfortunate situation for him to make his debut that way, but I'm so thrilled to see him. It is kind of odd that um, we don't have the Dream Finder along with him, but people love Figment. Mm-hmm. Maybe they are seeing, you know, these five-hour waits prove that you can do something more with Figment and with Journey into Imagination.
1: The Epcot news that excited me the most was reimagining Test Track. You know, it's one of our Mm -hmm. family's favorite rides. It looks like they're going to team with Chevrolet to, you know, with a little inspiration from the original World of Motion. I love that part. It's a great idea. Who knows what it's going to look like? I mean, there's really not too much detail, but the fact that, you know, Test Track is still fun, but, uh, you know, a little
2: modernization with an homage to the past will be a good thing. They announced that the Hatbox Ghost will be arriving in November at the uh, Haunted Mansion in Walt Disney World.
0: Just in time for Halloween. Oh wait, oh wait. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see him. I know that some people are frustrated where where he appears with where he appears. Um, it comes before the séance room, um, but I think he's cool. So glad he's in the Walt Disney World Haunted Mansion. Uh, Zootopia will be taking over the tree of life, replacing it's tough to be a bug. Um, I always loved it's tough to be a bug. See, feeling those bugs crawl, crawl away from you uh, under, under your seat at the end of the show and hearing all the children scream was kind of funny to hear, and usually older people as well. But uh, it's tough to be a bug going away. It's been there for 25 years, and it's time for an upgrade, I guess.
2: But there's a Pirates of the Caribbean themed tavern coming to Magic Kingdom. Still not much details about it what that will look like. It's, it's, a, lounge. it's a lounge. It's a lounge. I see tavern and lounge.
0: Okay. What's the name of it?
2: A new, a new Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> thing. Oh, they have a lounge. It. Okay,
0: I'm sorry. That may
2: be the name of it. We don't know. It will be a first of its kind experience.
0: So Tortuga's Tavern is there now. Um, and it'll be it'll be nice that they don't have to worry about having to try to share a kitchen with Pecos Bills anymore. There will probably be smaller food items, uh, probably some some fun rum drinks. All right,
1: we're going to leave Pirates of the Caribbean and go around the corner. And I don't know if you're excited about this or not, but a New Country Bear musical jamboree. Is this good? Is this bad? Are we messing with tradition?
0: I mean, yes, you're messing with tradition. What are but your thoughts? Can
2: I tell you, and this is a public confession here, total yeah. transparency, I've never seen Country Bear Cambory. I know.
1: I well, know. Guys, it's been a, <laughs> been a real blast. Um, this is a good time how... for me to sign off. <laughs> are you kidding me? I love the
2: idea of it. Every time we walk by, nobody with me would go to it. I don't want to go What feedback. about
1: the days where it's 100 degrees? Well, I could it's go air to air showbiz You're and there see from Shobiz. open the clothes.
0: You're there from open the clothes. I want to see Hey, I want to <laughs> see All right, it.
1: road trip. Let's go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Right now, yep. uh, no, I'm not. I'm I'm happy that they're upgrading it. From what I understand, they're also upgrading the animatronics. Okay, um,
1: I'll give you that. That's needed. Yes.
0: Little disappointed they're not going to have original country music in there anymore. It's going to be Disney songs sung with a country flair. Um, so. Those those other songs that were in there from 1971, those were actually original mm-hmm. songs from right. original artists. Uh, I think the 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 most current one at that time was from 1967. So they actually were looking outside of the world of Disney. I don't think we need Disney in every single corner of the park. My opinion.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, at least they're working with Nashville musicians to give a you know a realistic sound, and we're not going to lose Trixie, Big Al, or the. The famous cast of characters, so that's good.
0: We've got the adventure, the adventure coming, the Avenger. We've (laughs) got for the Avenger. (laughs) We've got. Is that a boat? We've got the Disney (laughs) adventure coming. John, you're going to probably be the first one on this cruise ship because you go every summer, now. Well, we got a (laughs) checklists
1: are what they are meant to be, right? No, it's very exciting. It looks like the adventure though is going to focus on that Southeast Asia uh, track that they were looking at to expand Singapore. Hong Kong, Australia, and New Zealand, and sure, if I could say I'm going on the adventure and do something like that, that'd be great. Probably a little high price point right now, but when it's done, it will be neat to see how she sails and and what's what's to offer for the cruise members and
2: those who spend a lot of money to tour Southeast Asia. Ahsoka Tano will be uh, coming to Star Tours (laughs) next year at Disney World, Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris, so that's going to be exciting.
0: Excited to see her in Galaxy's Edge as well. Mm -hmm.
2: Epcot has a new nighttime show that was supposed to premiere, I think, this month, and then it has been delayed until December 5th. Um, I guess they weren't totally happy with the music score, is what the reports were coming out. So that's being rewritten, and Luminous the Symphony of Us will premiere December 5th at Epcot.
0: I'm going to read exactly what it says here from the D23 website. Walt Disney Imagineering is planning to reimagine Dinoland USA at Disney's Animal Kingdom into a new land inspired by a region sometimes referred to as tropical Americas. And it goes on to say it's going to cover the Western hemisphere, the Northern part of South America stretching up into Central America. Um, there's no details in here, but they're going to most likely include Encanto and re Dinosaur into a new Indiana Jones attraction. Now, will that be a new attraction?
2: Because the Indiana Jones and Disneyland is the exact track. Right. As, so I don't I'm, know. I'm hoping... I mean, it's fantastic. I would love to see that. I
0: would love to see maybe a, maybe a freshened-up story or something a little bit different from Disneyland's. But, yeah, we'll see if that happens. Um, I, I would be excited to see something like that.
2: John, I see you're wearing your Castaway Key sweatshirt tonight. Did you see that um, there's a new island that will be a stop? Uh, yeah. Lookout Key at Lighthouse Point.
1: Yeah, this was... Uh A bit of an effort on behalf of the company. If I remember correctly, they had some protracted negotiations with the Bahamas. Okay, let's
2: stop all the legal mumbo-jumbo. Just tell us. (laughs) They had to
1: talk a lot with the Bahamian government about (laughs) the environmental concerns of developing a brand new island. And so, at this latest event, Disney shared a little more about the ridiculously long name of Disney Lookout Key at Lighthouse Point. Seems unnecessary. But, again, it's yet another option. You know, with these many more boats coming out, they can't all stop at Castaway Mm Key at once. So I think it's a practical plan. They got approval from the Bahamian government. And, you know, looking back 20, 30 years ago, well, not that long ago. I would have been kind of young. But at least 20 years ago, I would have loved to be in the college program and live there for six, seven months out of the year and work for the company. And a brand-new place would be even better.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: One other announcement from D23, the next D23 Expo will take place August 9th through the 11th at the Anaheim Convention Center. Now time for the second half of our conversation with Mindy Johnson. You may remember when Mindy started researching her book, Ink and Paint the Women of Walt Disney's Animation, literally she was handed five pieces of paper from the Disney company and she turned it into a beautiful coffee table sized book. Enjoy.
2: So, from the first five pages in that folder that you received, yes, till the time the book rolled off the presses, what kind of time frame was that? And what kind of changes did you know the book go through in that time period?
3: Well, it went from a charming little book to the tiny tome you have today that will give you a good upper body workout. <laughs> <laughs> and even, even as large as it is, it is still just scratching the surface. So um, i had to do some you know kind of choosing gems from jewels as far as what i could put in the book and i knew after In and paint then again i was asked what's next and i said well my brain hurts because <laughs> it was five years of hmm. no life of tinkerbell and that size was seven years i had no life for five years except this book i literally disappeared into it um and had to you know, and a number of for a number of reasons, but um, it really was an absorbing. I had to just immerse myself in this world and find as many families and collections and dig under beds and into people's closets and um, and about eighty five to nine about eighty five percent of what's in that book is not in the Disney archives.
2: Hmm.
3: Came from private collections and from families and. Uh, just dogged research in, you know, I don't know, I think if you read through, I did 180 some interviews, I think for that. Um, And had to find, you know, get the answers to some of the oddest questions about why would you tape a quarter to the bottom of your ink? (laughs) You know, Oh, okay. Now I get it. (laughs) You know, just, crazy little bits and pieces because there were no textbooks for this. There were no... Uh, they came in for training, absolutely, but it was all in-house and specific to Disney.
1: You're not our first author to mention the interview process or the visiting with family members. And I want your impression, we've asked this of others and guests as well, a sense of pride, a sense of joy a sense of trepidation. What are what did you experience with family members when you approached them about talking about their parent or their relative or their experience? And did you find them digging things out of file cabinets? I could just sense some people, oh, you'd love to see this, you'd love to see this, and you find yourself sitting there for six to eight <laughs> hours and not being able to get out of their house.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, all of the above, really. Um, it's a weird thing to get a phone call from me
0: sometimes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> out of the blue. Hi, my name is, um, I'm an author historian. And would you happen to know, or would you be really, you know, and finding these people, you know, you have Mrs. Harry so-and-so. You you don't have their names necessarily. It's especially researching women is, it's extra challenging because when you, like I said, in the archives, they had everything about the men, but nothing about the women. I couldn't even get, I'd have to find Christmas card lists. If somebody pulled out a Christmas card list in their collection, that was goals because you suddenly had names. But even then it would be Mrs. Harrison and stuff. Right. So you'd have to all right reverse engineer your research a little bit and do a lot of peripheral digging. There were a few holy grails, um, key names in women and families, but oftentimes um, it ran the gamut from handing me banker's boxes filled with uh cells and and documents and love letters and um uh, id photos and you know folded up ribbons and and please tell our mother's story tell her my grandmother's story tell my aunt's story to you know phone calls sitting late night a Gracie Godino's nephew was like yeah I want to tell you about my aunt she was great <laughs> And we had the best conversation. He just, he said, he turned the lights out, sat in his chair, and just for hours went on and on. And she was the kind of gal you would have loved to have hung with. She was just this great, fun bundle of amazing character. Um, some families were, you know, a little reluctant, um, or they just didn't have anything. I had one family call and say, you know. She was the lady who baked cookies for us when we came home from school. We never knew what she did. Can you tell us? And I get that still from a lot of families about, well, I can tell you that she did work in this department, so she would have been doing this. And and so it, it was heartbreaking in a lot of ways where I felt like, oh, my gosh, if I would have just started two years earlier, five years earlier, the stories I could have gotten. Um, many of these women sadly passed and nobody knew who they were. So I felt the heft, the weight, the gravitas of, of telling their stories. And um, our dear Don Hahn said to me when I, he was one of the first people I reached out to and he was like, well, I'll start with these people. And he said, look, you're the only one who's gonna tell this story. So you've got to tell it right. <laughs> No pressure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I still hold that to him that, yeah, you're the one who started this trouble. <laughs> but, I,
1: but I never thought of it that way. There are some instances where you became the educator and historian for a family. How wonderful yeah. is that, though? Yes, uh, you, you it feel is. the weight, but how much joy did that bring you, though?
3: Well, immense. I, I still get families uh, who then I didn't know about. Now and, and it's kind of that example, if you build it, they will come. So by getting the book out there, then suddenly more people come forward and, hey, you might be interested, which is great because then it brings about filling in these pieces. It, as as big as it is, it still is not comprehensive. I still have more looming questions. It's like fine Swiss cheese, right? There's still going to be holes in there. And by expanding and going out to other studios, I have a, a good grounding but each studio had its own tenor its own process its own personnel breakdown its own pipeline its own technology and so you have to kind of take in that culture just as much and now it's almost even too big for me it's a giant monster and uh but a lot of other folks have been they know to come to me to kind of bring whatever they have, hey, we came across this name. I'm like, great, I'll get to it when I finish with these 500 women I'm working on now. It's a big epic story to tell. Even overall, our animated history is filled with a lot of missing pieces and, and confusing moments and timeframes. And I don't know if we'll ever be able to get an accurate handle on it all, but we can at least get this part answered. I, I will, if I may, tell a sweet story of uh, dear Wilma Baker. She, uh, when I first started, uh, got a hold of a couple of key women. And they're like, well, you know, and there is Wilma. I knew of Ruthie Thompson, of course. And I, when I got the green light on the book, I said, okay, you get the paperwork. I'll, we'll sign contracts. I have to get moving. Ruthie's about to turn 102. <laughs> well, she lived to be 111. God <laughs> bless because she was our only living person who was eyes and ears inside the Kingswell studio. Mm. So I needed to get to her right away. And it was the biggest moment of joy when I could hand the book to her and sign a copy to her. And I've got the cutest footage of her going through with her magnifying glass. And it was like her looking at her own yearbook mm. where everybody else is like, Oh, history we can learn. It. And she's like, Oh, there's Kiki and there's KK and there's Mimi and there's everybody. And It was her her yearbook right um but I got a hold of Wilma Baker who was in her 90s and she's about 96 when I first met her and I called her and said you know hi here's what I'm doing and I, you know nobody knew who I was I'd done the Tinkerbell book but you know that this is a different subject and it gave me a Okay, I have another book you can look at. I'm I'm legit. I'm not some random person, and and um, so she, you know, hi, I, you know, well, yeah, I worked on Snow White. Okay, <laughs> well, I don't know what I can share. I, you know, I I painted. I said, well, you know what? How about if I come down and and you know we'll we'll talk and we'll see. So I stopped and picked up a package of Martino's tea cakes, which the in and when they moved to Burbank, Martino. You can still get them, Martino's tea cakes. They're this institution, and they were a standard. You could on your tea break, you would go and get a tea cake and a cup of tea, and that was your morning ritual or your afternoon ritual. Well, I brought down some Martino's tea cakes and sat down with her and had my voice recorder and you know piece of paper and I had my list of questions I wanted to talk to her about in the films. Well, I don't know what I can share with you, but, and she was all, you never saw Wilma in disarray. She was, uh, you can spot her in photos going back to the thirties. She's stunning always. And she was, we just had the cutest visit and I cracked open the tea cakes and she about wept. She was like, Oh my gosh. And it just kind of, called up a bunch of memories for her six hours later. (laughs) (laughs) And I called her on it and said, you told me you couldn't even get an hour's worth. She, well, I guess I did. (laughs) She was pulling out her, her paint box. She was still painting in her eighties. And if she could have, she moved her family, moved her down, uh, down the coast a bit. And if she would have been closer, she would have still been painting. She pulled out one of her gloves. And I said, well, but it still has paint on it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And she's like, well, I should have tossed that. I went, no, don't you dare. So she gave it to me. Mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute. You got to sign it. So she signed it for me and I have it. It's one of my treasures. So we got her through and her. she had said to me, I just want to hold the book in, the hand, in my hands. I, I Maybe then my grandchildren and great-grandchildren will understand what I did. So that was my goal, was to be able to get her to do that. And I called when we had it in a galley form. So I had it on my iPad. And I called her daughter and I said, look, can I get it over to show her? She said, well, and it was around the holidays. And she said, well, Mom's slowing down. She said, let's get her through the holidays and see how she's doing. And I said, okay, well, I know she wants to see it. And I had uh, a year or two earlier at one of the earliest D23s, I got her at Ginny Mac out to sign autographs and we did a panel event together and talked about in campaign but it was before the book had come out but we had a huge crowd and they were just blown away that they want me to sign this they i said that so i gave them a little tutorial on doing autographs and why and they got to meet fans and they were just so amazed at really you you want to know about this? and and they got them out doing some speaking and um unfortunately she passed before I could get the book in her hand. And the family invited me to her funeral. And myself and one other woman who and the department head that she had worked with, we were the two non-family members. And they buried her with one of her paintbrushes in her hand. <laughs>
0: Outstanding, and her grandchildren got to see what what mm-hmm. she yeah did.
3: they have they are so proud of their great grandmother and now there's a place where these families can go to and say that's that's why in the back you see the galley, which is only a fraction of the thousands of women, <clears throat> but I tried I had only so much page space. <laughs> So, we tried to get as many women, not only in the body of the book, but also in the back of the book, and uh, so that you would have a starting point to be able to say, yes, they were real, and here's who these women were, and uh, there's hundreds and hundreds more that were now still, I keep a database going, and I get calls from, you know, like the Academy and and other studios to say, hey, we came across these things, Who? what can you tell us, and And I'm grateful to be doing that, but I'm keeping all of this aggregated so that it will live ultimately at the Academy, and hopefully I can hand it off to somebody who can uh, carry the torch. And
2: it seems like, you know, what this little project, how it's from the time it started to now, you've kind of been given the mantle of preserving all of these wonderful stories, and I can hear it in your voice, how you accept that responsibility, not very lightly (laughs) at all and just what no, an honor I'm, that is
3: it is i i'm i'm uh, it kind of found me i think in a lot of ways I, it wasn't anything i but what's interesting is it resonates with me i mean as as a young woman coming up in in any industry as a woman in general i grew up with three brothers they're wonderful guys um, but i was odd girl out and i was sometimes invisible not so much you know, my parents did what they could, but society in general. Um and so I get it. I've I've had the sting of that. I know that. It it sucks. Huh. And so, Pardon, you can cut that out. No. But it it, it doesn't does. smell <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 horrible. And I see my students, I don't want them to have to go through, I mean, I've been the only woman in the room, and I, I find myself clocking eye contact where I'm not being heard. I'm not even, I'm invisible in this room. No one's listening or paying attention. And it, it's awful. It's a horrible feeling that no one should have to go through, um, regardless of whatever hair color or shoe size you are, <laughs> you know, let alone gender or orientation or whatever else. So uh, I teach a class at Kell Arts in the history of women and other underrepresented artists. So I spend my time finding those who are lost and bringing them to light. And it is changing the next generation of artists who will move forward in this industry so they understand that they have they see themselves in it and that they have a place, and that we've all missed out on their voice. We've missed out on an incredible range of stories and experiences and visual delights because somebody might look a little different or think a little different than what we think something should be as. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing that's gonna harm anybody else, right? Um, it's about opening up doors and giving opportunities to everyone to have a place at the table.
2: So how has ink and paint affected how you look at future projects? (laughs) Have you thought, you know, this could be an impact like ink and paint, or are you thinking I don't have time to tackle that right now or give it the attention it deserves or.
3: Yes. All of that. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, after Ink and Pain came out and I did Pencils, Pens, um, I received the really lovely um, Academy Film Scholar Award and they kind of threw down the gauntlet. <laughs> and a lot of other people said, okay, you're going to go wider now, right? <laughs> you did Disney, now go elsewhere. And uh, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm knowing the behemoth that the Inga Paint story was, I thought, okay, I did a lot of unearthing, but it is a bigger story. And I knew, Oh, we've just scratched a really big, deep, crazy, immense surface here. So I needed to, you know, my brain hurt <laughs> after that. So I needed to sort of cleanse my palette with pencils, pens. And that was a treat. That was a joy working with Lorelei Bove and, um, the team, the whole team on that was just, everyone was so excited and wanted to bring their best to it. It was a delight. And um, so with the Academy challenge, <laughs> um, I was tasked, I have to write a book. Well, I had a theory that if animation, early, you know, Windsor McKay, Sydney Smith, many of our earliest pioneers of animation had started in vaudeville Well, women had to be in vaudeville too. So, um, that's where I unearthed the Bessie Mae Kelly story, which, um, I was looking at other early women, but, and trying to get other studios unearthed, the Edith Furnix and Lillian Friedman Astor, and just trying to get their stories rounded out a bit more and getting to the bottom of them, um. And Laverne Harding, and you know the sort of the low-hanging fruit that I'd come across in my general. And I did cover other women in Ink and paint, but unearthing Bessie Mae Kelly that was a stubborn multi-year process. I'd um, it took a while to unlock her because what is Bessie? Is that chart for Elizabeth? Is it chart for Margaret? Is it just Bessie or Bess? Uh, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, K-E-L-L-E-Y, K-E-L-L-I, May, M-A-Y, M-A-E-M-I-A. What is it, right? Trying to find that. Unearth who this woman is. And so I'd had her vaudeville career kind of locked in, but there were claims in a lot of the coverage from that that she'd worked at Bray Studios and worked at Fleischer and developed the first mouse couple. And I was like, what? that's that's a little too much even for me to take in, right? So finally getting her unlocked and getting to the bottom of this, that was a tough one, and it was it took the pandemic where I had a little extra time to just literally sit down and oh, it's three o'clock in the morning, okay, I'll keep going, you know, I'd have to get up and dash off to a campus somewhere. I could keep digging um, and then finally finding her family and unlocking that and oh, you have materials, great! (laughs) And then finding her films and uh, sure enough, she did in fact, she worked at the first official Bray Studios and worked with Max Fleischer and Paul Terry and Walter Lance. She knew Walt and Roy. Um, She worked with Dave Hand. She worked with uh a lot of the early guys who went off to disney and went on and created much of what was at disney so she was part of the very beginning but um i had to kind of keep that contained until we could officially announce and now getting that book finished is uh and and the film that i'm working on about her um it's been a little intense but that's what's next <laughs> that's so cool.
2: So where can people find you and order your books and learn a little bit more about what you're doing?
3: Well, um find it's usually best I have to keep checking in on where am I going next. Um, you'll, you'll find me at uh mindyjohnsoncreative.com. So it's all one big blur of a word mindyjohnsoncreative.com or Google. Um, and it's I've got a few more things to be adding. I'm going to be traveling this fall, I'll be in Porta Italy, introducing Bessie Mae Kelly to the, it's sort of the granddaddy of them all for silent film. Um, and then I'll be in Toronto at the uh, Toronto Animation Arts Festival, International Festival. And then uh, I'm in Las Vegas for a comic convention. Nice. And then I'll be in Vancouver for the Spark Animation Festival. Um, And mostly talking about uh, Bessie Mae and getting that debuted a little bit, but um, certainly covering our other early women. We're in the centenary, of course, with Disney. So why, you know, what better time to definitely get the 100 years of women at Disney out there since our first Disney employee was a young woman and uh, getting her story told. She was one of my holy grails. And finally getting her story unlocked a little bit and getting a, a photo, an image. That's been the biggest challenge is finding photographs of these women and getting them ID'd. So that database of that I have, um, it's always helpful when you can get new images and Uh, fresh images and and i try to share them with the families here's a new photograph of your aunt that you never saw before oh my gosh she's so young and you know it just brings up new new memories and Mm. new keeps it keeps them alive which is exciting
0: who was that first employee
3: kathleen dollard Excellent. Kathleen was a, uh, she had moved to Southern California to take part. She was from Ohio originally. And in the ni- about 1920, she moved out to Southern California to be part of Hollywood. Uh, that, you know, the movies was a big thing. You have, uh, it brought a lot of young women out here thinking they'd be stars. And she was a friend of Hazel's, Hazel Sewell. Hazel was a, I would have loved to have known her. She was a vivacious powerhouse. She was the only person that could kind of put Walt in his place and he would listen. (laughs) Um, That's coming from her granddaughter. And even Walt's grandchildren have confirmed (laughs) that, (laughs) yeah, Hazel, (laughs) you could... And, but she did so much in her 10 years while at Disney. And I think she's one of the unsung heroines of, of the company overall. Um, She was a new mother. She or her husband, Glenn had, they moved out to Southern California. He was a pharmacist in the kind of the Kingswell area. And um, she had a young daughter, Marjorie. She was raising. And so she got to know everybody in the neighborhood and she was in the garage when Walt was setting up his camera stand in Uncle Robert's garage. So she met him through just being in the neighborhood, knew Uncle Robert. There was a little baby there. And you know, so everybody you knew your neighbors, right? And so when they were starting the studio, I said, well, I have a friend. You should you know, check with Kathleen. And I have it on very good authority from... Uh, Kathleen's great nephew, who she helped raise him, said she always had a twinkle in her eye and she had a great sense of humor. And uh, he said that it was family legend that Walt Disney, a very young Walt Disney, she would cook for the young bachelors. They were, you know, batching it in an apartment across the way from Uncle Robert's house and eating beans out of a can and that kind of thing. So she would cook for them And uh, apparently a very young Walt Disney proposed to her, but she turned him down because she didn't think he'd amount to anything. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. Well, but all's well that ends well, She, um, she did. When Lillian came to town then, she was, you know, met Kathleen through Hazel. And said, oh, well, yeah, you can come work for us. We're looking for help, but don't vamp the boss. (laughs) Which Don't don't go after him. Well, he, you know, suddenly he was driving them home and he would take Kathleen home. She lived further away and Lillian was very close, but he'd take Kathleen home first and then keep Lillian in the car for a while. And then, (laughs) you know, they fell in love.
2: So, Mindy, well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And we could probably talk to you for another couple hours. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but it has been a treat for us. three. Right. So thank you again. And we look forward to yeah, having you back in the future.
3: Oh, great joy. It's always a delight to get a light cast on these remarkable women all through the history of that company and beyond. And uh, keep doing what you do. Uh, Exploring the history of Disney is, I think, exploring an aspect of our lives that everyone can relate to. And uh, I I appreciate the fact that you're excited about doing it. And to your audience, thanks for listening.
0: Sean, thank you so much for lining up that interview. She is a pure joy to talk to.
1: You know, the the pride. I mentioned that about the families, but I loved how you asked her kind of made it clear to her, Sean, that she is the she's the mantle carrier now. She mm-hmm. is the keeper of those stories. And I think, you know, the reaffirmation that or the rejuvenation she gets by telling those stories and whether in print or with us tonight, I mean, it, it gets you excited that these stories are going to live on forever now and it's because of her and and that's it's just amazing to watch and and
2: listen to her voice you know mm-hmm. get full of emotion as she's describing what it took to do and you think about okay the disney archives they're going to have the answers to all my questions and i mean that was just the catalyst i right? mean for really digging in and researching and i mean it's amazing that you are creating you're not creating the history, but you are creating the textbooks that will be used for future study.
1: Yeah. hundred What would you say? 180 interviews or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Three, I mean.
0: 320, 384 huge pages in this coffee table book. And it started with five pages in a folder. I mean, that's, that tells you what she did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, something we didn't touch on in this interview, I want to make sure that we at least mention is that Walt wasn't gender biased and he was considered progressive during this time when it came to women in the workplace. Uh, There came a point when it looked like we were going to be involved in World War II, and Walt started training some of these women to be animators because he didn't know how many artists he was going to lose. And some of the animators took exception to that. They thought that they would be uh, under, undercut, you know, kind of um, he would have to pay less because these were women. And Walt was quoted in 1941 saying, if a woman can do the job, she gets the pay. And that speaks volumes for the fact that he was looking for talented people. And we didn't get to talk about it in the interview, but it is mentioned in this book. And once again, the book is... Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation. It's from Disney Editions. Outstanding. Make sure you follow us on social media. You can also email us at podcast at the Hyperion Hub.com. Wherever you're listening to us, please rate and review so more people find the show. Till next week, have a great one, everybody. We're glad you could join us. We'd love to hear from you.
2: You can email or send us a recorded audio message at podcast
0: at com. Find us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Hyperion Hub is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or its subsidiaries. We'll meet you next time at the Hyperion Hub.